I want to, at the outset today, uh, just take a moment to say thank you to some unsung heroes that are among us, and that, that is um, all the setup team. We had a concert here last night and, uh, that went very late, 1,500 people here praising God. It was a great time, but that, after the teardown, getting this room reset, everything, they were here till 2 in the morning. They went home, pulled into their driveway, pulled back out. Um, to come here this morning and serve you and make sure everything was set up, your facilities team, your sound team, your tech team. And I, I just want to say thank you to them. Would you join me in saying thank you to them? Way to go. Y'all are amazing. <clears throat> the scriptures say we should give honor where honor is due. And we have an opportunity to do that together this morning. On the, uh, at the 11th hour, on the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918, the First World War came to an end. And uh, that day is, in, in Europe, a remembrance day for those who perished in that conflict and for all those who did so in World War II as well and, and history going forward. Uh, we celebrate that sacrifice, a Memorial Day, but we retain November 11th as a a day to honor all those who serve, all of our veterans. And I want to take a minute to say thank you to all of the men and women who have served and serve us now. And if you are in service now or you are a veteran, I'd like you to stand and we want to say thank you to you this morning. Would you please stand? We want to thank you for your service and say God bless you. Thank you. All of them. Bless you. We are uh, the, the debtors to men and women of great courage. We know it, we're grateful, and, and we bless the Lord for you. you now, Lysias has already preached to us from Acts uh, 2.42, so I'm just gonna give the benediction. <laughs> I am gonna actually ask you to turn to Acts chapter two. We're gonna read verse 42 and following. This is the last Sunday in a series on worship. If you're new with us today, you're here for the last sermon in that series. And, um, and, and, well, I heard an awe, and that was, that's nice, because I figured most people would be going, can we move along? Can we get to something else? When does Advent start? Um, so uh, I want us today, I've used an expression a couple of Sundays uh, that I want to I press into a little bit today in this final sermon, and it's, the, it's a phrase, the ordinary means of grace. And I want to talk to you this morning about the ordinary means that God uses in our lives and in his church to accomplish extraordinary works for our growth in grace and for the expansion of the kingdom in the whole world. Let's look at Acts 2, verses 42 and following. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God 
and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Won't you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the great work you did on the day of Pentecost, bringing all these thousands of people to the faith. Thank you that you joined them together in a community of people that began to spread out over the face of the earth to take the good news of Jesus to the whole world. And now, Lord, we pray that that same Holy Spirit who worked that day and inspired Luke to write these words would be at work in our hearts to inscribe them there and to give us the habits that lead us to growth in grace. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. It feels to me sometimes like the church has a kind of identity crisis. We feel like somehow we have to come up with some new way to do things, or we have to have a whole stadium kind of event to make things happen, to reach the world. Um, If we just had more resources, if we just had a better light show, if we just could be somehow cooler, we could win the world. I feel like the church of Jesus in, in North America is a little bit like the kid who just can't quite get to the cool kid's table and is desperate to try to find a seat. Friends, let me remind you this morning, Jesus doesn't need a seat at the table, he owns the table. (laughs) It's important for us to look at this church, this fledgling Christian community, and remind ourselves of something. This is the church the day after Pentecost. 120 people were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a large group, 120 people. Uh, 10 times that number on campus today. But they were filled with the Spirit, and they were filled with the love of God, and they were filled with the Word of God, and they began to share the grace of God, the gospel of God, revealed in Jesus Christ to those around them. St. Augustine, hundreds of years later, put it this way. When Paul and the apostles began to preach, the Roman Empire was filled with crosses, And now in my time, Augustine, writing almost at the year 400, said, and now the Roman Empire is filled with crosses again. But the difference between Paul's day and my day is this. When Paul and the apostles began to preach, there were people hanging on those crosses. And now in my day, the crosses are on the tops of buildings, summoning people to safety and salvation. These people turned the world up side down, and none of them wore capes. They were not super Christians. In fact, they were people who did ordinary things, and in these ordinary practices, God accomplished extraordinary works with them. And those ordinary practices, I'm gonna use a different word, those boring practices, are actually what led them to the place that changed the world. We keep waiting for lightning bolts and sky riding and something extraordinary to happen. We all have extraordinary moments, we do. We have celebratory moments, we have great occasions. Those are what mark our lives, but I'll put it to you this way. How many parents give their children chocolate cake every morning for breakfast? Well, that's not what you do. You don't give them strawberry milkshakes every day for lunch. 
That's not how to raise a healthy child. No, what do you do? You keep, you keep giving them bologna sandwiches. That's what you do. You just keep putting in that bologna and cheese and occasionally you might get it, you know, might chef it up a little and go, I'm putting some peanut butter and jelly on the Wonder Bread little extra smile on it. And what happens is it turns out as you keep putting bologna sandwiches in year after year after year, you know what happens? They turn into adults. They grow. And if you ask them, do you remember that bologna sandwich I gave you on Thursday, March 13th, 1994? They would all go, what? What are you talking about? But if you said to them, do you remember that day I refused to feed you? They would remember that. Now, what happens is there's the ordinary life of the church and the ordinary life of believers. And in the ordinary things, we find God interlaces extraordinary works that he does. And we are deeply grateful for those things. What, what does it look like? One of the ancient Christians writing in about, oh, 155, a man named Justin the Apologist, who came to be known as Justin Martyr, was writing a letter to government officials, trying to explain to those who hated the faith and were suspicious of the faith, what it is that Christians did. And he said this, this is about 150 AD. On a day called Sunday, all who live in, our, in the cities or in the country gather together in one place and the... And again, he's using language to try to explain to the non-believer the practices of believers. And, and so he says, every Sunday we get together and the memoirs of the apostles. What would be the memoirs of the apostles? Well, those would be the gospels. The memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. And that's when the children have to be picked up. I would just insert, insert that parenthetically. And then when the reader has ceased, the overseer verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray, as we said before, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine are brought, and the overseer in like manner offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability, and the people say amen, and then there is a distribution of the bread and the wine to every person for a participation in that over which thanks have been given. And then all of those who have resources and are willing give what each thinks is right and what is collected is then shared with those who are in need so that all are cared for. And we gather on this day because this is the day of creation when God made light in the darkness and Jesus our Savior rose from the dead and then every day the rest of the week we keep reminding each other of these things. That's a beautiful summary of the Christian church in the year 150, and it's the church that changed the world. They took over and changed through the simple, ordinary practices of grace, the ordinary means. Well, what are they? I want to draw your attention to three of them this morning, three ordinary practices, word, prayer, and sacrament that lead to three extraordinary outcomes. Look at verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. John Stott says the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost opened a school of discipleship. They gave themselves to the teaching of the apostles. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Paul writing to Timothy about his conduct in the life of the church said, 
give attention to the public reading of Scripture. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he said, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. It is God's word preached and read to us which nourishes our souls. The apostle Peter in his letter said, as newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that you can grow thereby. So all of us arrive as hungry babies longing to be fed with the milk of the word of God so that we can grow. If an infant cannot digest that food, if an infant isn't hungry, you know that there's actually something terribly wrong. You've got to get medical attention immediately for that child. The cry of hunger from a baby is a cry of health. I want to grow. And in every church, there needs to be a body of people saying, I want to be fed. I'm crying out. All of these new members that have stood up here, we've made a commitment to disciple and teach them, to teach them the word of God. And many of you can become those teachers, but all of us, all of us should have hearts that are longing for the scriptures. We want to be taught. We want to be discipled. We need the word of God coming into our lives. Many of you have printed versions of the Bible, or maybe you have it on a on, your, on, on, on an app somewhere. But you, many of us have 26 different versions of the Bible. But do we give attention to reading it, whether personally or in public? You should hold me accountable and say, Pastor, you better be showing up with the meat and it better not be baloney. It better be the, the good grain of God's word. Jeremiah said, your word is like fire and like a hammer that shatters a rock. He went on to say, your word is more important to me than my necessary food. I long for it. I took it. I ate it. And it became to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. And so the ministry, the simple ministry of the word of God, reading the word, meditating on the word, studying the word of God, listening to the word of God, doing those things helps us in an ordinary way grow. Here's the second thing, the ministry of prayer. It says in verse 42, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, the definite articles there is important. These were all Jewish people who had believed in Jesus as their Messiah. It says they went to the temple. They continued to gather together there. So it was the regular gathering and their regular prayers. And these were set prayers. There's nothing wrong with set prayers. Sometimes people think that they have to have a spontaneous prayer in order to make it a valid prayer. Well, spontaneous praying is good. Certainly encourage it. But there's nothing wrong with set prayers as well. The Lord's Prayer, for instance, is a set prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Nothing wrong with a set prayer like that. These early Christians were praying prayers like that. And it says, for instance, in the next chapter that as they were going, this is Peter and John, as they were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, there was a set time, there was a set prayer, as they're going at the hour of prayer, there was a man who was lame from birth that was lying there, and he was begging for help. And they looked at him and they said, silver and gold have we none, but what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. What happened? A miracle happened. The man rose, he was, he was healed. Great attention was brought to Jesus Christ. The gospel was proclaimed. Thousands of more people believed. Why did that happen? Because they were doing something ordinary. They were praying. 
You know, can I just tell you, this church has learned a lot about prayer, haven't we, in the last year? Called to prayer, prayer and fasting, praying for one another, praying, praying for those in leadership, praying for me when, when I was in bad health, praying for Ron when he was, when he was in, in the hospital, praying for one another. When we set aside the time to pray, when we're doing something ordinary like prayer, and you may not feel in your time of prayer like, oh, oh, I had this time of prayer. And I mean, like Jesus was just like right there, right there. Usually I'm like, could somebody just keep passing the coffee? I don't always feel Jesus all close to me. I don't always, when I'm opening up the Bible, always find the Holy Spirit highlighting something and I go, whoa, that was amazing. Never seen that before. Now that does happen. But you see, it's just the ordinary day by day. And God steps into the ordinary to do extraordinary things. Let me give you one more. The ministry of sacraments. It says in verse 42, they gave themselves to the breaking of the bread. In just a few minutes, we're going to break bread together. And we're gonna do that at the Lord's table. The early Christians called it a feast. Now, how many of you picked up one of those those little packets when you came in. You got one of those packets for, for communion. We're gonna use those in just a few minutes. We're gonna take communion together. And you're looking at that going, not much of a feast, pastor. I mean, I'm doing intermittent fasting and it won't even interrupt that. That's just, that's not even gonna count for anything. And I don't even have to worry if it's keto friendly or not. I mean, it's very ordinary. Next month, um, we're gonna have... Um, a different supply of those and they're gonna be shaped like a cool goblet and there'll be a wine option to go with the grape juice and something that resembles, um, well, it's at least closer to bread than some kind of um, industrial byproduct. But in any case, I, I move on. <laughs> it's very ordinary. And you go, well, how does eating and drinking something very ordinary like this, how does pouring water on someone's head or immersing them in the ocean, how does something like that, something very ordinary, do something extraordinary? But it does. Paul says in baptism, we are buried with Christ and raised up with him to walk in newness of life. He goes on to write to the Corinthians in chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that that eating and that drinking is a participation in the body and blood of Christ. He says that by faith, spiritually, spiritually, we are taking on Christ. We are, we are taking him into our hearts. We are feeding on him in our souls. And that eating and that drinking is helping us grow, strengthening our union with him, strengthening our union with each other in that act of communion. And again, when we do something very ordinary, God shows up to do extraordinary things. Look at the three things that are here. First of all, they grew in grace personally. They grew in grace personally. Look at verse 47. They were praising God and having favor favor with all the people. It's the word grace. Grace was upon them. Grace was upon them. Charis. God's favor was resting on these people as they simply went about these day-to-day, -day, very ordinary things. They discovered that God was meeting them and God was bestowing his blessing on people. The root word of, of charis, this Greek word for, 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 for grace, charis, for favor, the root word is, is where we get our word joy. 
When you see a a church where grace disappears, joy disappears. When you see a church that's overflowing with grace, where God's favor and grace is being poured out of them, you find a church that's filled with life, with joy. We need God's favor. We need his grace poured upon our lives, not just on Sundays, but how many days? Every single day. How does that happen? Means of grace. We're just meditating on his word. We're praying, we're breaking bread together and favor, the grace of God, the joy of the Lord flows in that place. Look what it says here too, they grew in love congregationally. Verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's an amazing text. They were just... They were just spontaneously selling possessions and sharing with people as they were in need, whatever they could do to help one another. Now, we need to learn to be giving people, and I will preach on giving, it's coming. I'll give you a few, because because if a pastor fails to teach people about giving, then then that's an aspect of discipleship we failed to touch on, and it's coming. I'm not going to preach on it when we're going to be short on money or trying to raise money or something like that. I shouldn't have to do that. But what what, what should happen is this. As we are simply meditating on the Word of God, praying together, breaking bread together, as God's grace is upon our life, the grace of God is in the life of the church to open our hearts, not only to the Lord, but to one another and to those who are in need. And by the way, this isn't socialism. Socialism is wealth redistribution at the point of a gun. (laughs) This isn't socialism. This is a voluntary action of grace where people saw need and voluntarily they said, I'll sell what I have and I'll take the proceeds and I'll hand it over because I want you to have your needs met. That's a life of grace and faith and love. And the thing that characterized the early Christians was that kind of sacrificial love, that kind of sacrificial service to one another so that we wash each other's feet and we care for one another. They grew in love congregationally, but finally, they grew in number missionally. Look at verse 47. Praising God, having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number Sunday by Sunday. No, what's it say? Every day, day by day, those who were being saved, God was adding, God was adding. The Lord was growing the house. You saw all these new members up here, and that's a beautiful thing. And and, and we're gonna continue to see, we long to continue to see the grace of God poured out so that people are coming to Christ. My friends, God has placed us in this city for this city. He has placed us in the world for the world. Wherever you live, you might be visiting with us. You might be joining us online from a a different state or even a different country. Wherever you are, God's put you there for that place to bear witness to Jesus. And people can come to Christ, not just in a service, but every single day. Day. Every single day, I hear about people coming to Christ in the counseling center. Every single day, I hear about people who come to Christ in the different ministries like nurturing your newborn. Every single day, I hear about people coming to Christ at Spanish River Christian School. Every single, every single day, I hear about people coming to Christ through Matt Wilson's ministries in the high school. I'm telling you, God is on, on the move. He is adding to his people day by day those who are being saved, and we should rejoice in that. But the way those extraordinary moments happen is when we give our to the ordinary means of grace. One of my favorite theologians, Dr. Ligon Duncan, 
from Reformed Theological Seminary says, what will a church look like that's committed to the ordinary means of grace? It'll be characterized by love for expository biblical preaching, passion for worship, delight in the truth, and embrace of the gospel, and the Spirit's work of conversion, and a life of godliness. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. You know, friends, God will do extraordinary works by ordinary means with ordinary people. Some of you might think you are rock stars. Let's talk afterwards, shall we? <laughs> Some of you might think, I'm as, I've got as much cool as Napoleon Dynamite. I am just not cool at all. But wherever you are on the cool spectrum, I will tell you this, you are beloved of Jesus. And he wants to bring ordinary things into your life, like word and prayer and sacrament, to do an extraordinary work of grace in you and through you. And so let's come to the table, beloved. Let's come here. And where we're going to start with this is simply acknowledging that we need Christ. We're going to confess our sins together. Up on the screen is a confession of our sins. And then we're going to hear the word of the gospel announced to us after we together confess our sins. Would you say this with me? Lord God, you require us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before you. We confess that we have not loved you or our neighbors in this way, and we repent of this. Grant that your Holy Spirit drives us to seek these things through Christ. Amen. Would you take a moment and just silently before the Lord confess your sins to him personally? Now, friends, lift your eyes, lift your hearts, hear the word of the gospel. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, John wrote. But if we confess our sins, Christ is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of you who've put your trust in Christ, hear the word of the gospel. You are forgiven people, amen, amen. And so we come to this table what qualifies us to be here? This is the Lord's table. It's not a Presbyterian table, it's not a Baptist table, not a Lutheran table, it's the Lord's table. So what qualifies a person to be here? It's not membership in this church, but if you are a believer in Jesus, if when we said the Apostles' Creed earlier, you said, yeah, that's, I actually believe that, and I have Christ in my heart, and you are seeking to be his follower. And even though you fall short, you know that you hate your sin and your trust is in him then this table is for you. If you haven't yet put your trust in Christ, then rather than eating and drinking, take the moment that we do that together to ponder the claims of Jesus on your life. Listen, here's the bad news. We are sinful people and we are lost and alienated from the life of God and we would perish eternally. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and he rose again, and he will come again. And he gives salvation, forgiveness, as a gift freely to all those who will trust in him. 
You cannot earn this. You don't deserve it. You can't construct a resume that says, here's my, here's my achievements, Lord. Aren't I good? No one here is good, and that starts with me. There is no one good but God. We are all sinful people, but Christ forgives us and gives us salvation as a free gift. And this bread and cup remind us of that. St. Paul said that he was giving to the church what he'd received from the Lord. That on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said to them, I want you to take and eat this. And then after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the remission of sins, and I want you to drink this. And he said, as often as you eat this bread, Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, brothers and sisters, let's pray together. Lord, we set aside now this bread and this wine from common use unto sacred purpose, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us now by faith to have communion in the body and blood of Christ. We thank you that the only thing that qualifies us for this is what we sang in the opening song, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. And so, brothers and sisters, let's take the bread and with thankful hearts, take and eat. Amen. And now, brothers and sisters, with thankful hearts for all that Christ has done, take and drink. Amen. Thanks be to the Lord for his marvelous work. It is his doing and marvelous in our eyes. Would you stand with me and let's lift our hearts to the Lord and give him the praise and the glory.